Hi, folks. A shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week, we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio, on with the show. Hello, fabulous people of the Take On Board community. Look, I know, I know. I said last week this was the final podcast for Take On Board 2022. And now here I am again in your ears. So I don't know about you, but I listen to a lot of podcasts during the summer period. There's road trips that have loads of listening time. There's walks that have loads of listening time. Or maybe it's just downtime on the couch with the earpods in. And during the year, I have a ridiculous list of podcasts to listen to. It's like that pile of books that sits on the bedside table that, you know, kind of just haunts you when you don't get to them. Then over summer, you might get to that bedside table and that pile of books or like me, and because you're listening to this, I'm thinking you are, you get to work on your listening. So quite often over summer, I run out of podcasts to listen to and I don't like that. So this year, dear Take On Board community, I don't want to leave you short of listening. So I'm rerunning some of the most popular episodes from the last 12 months. Loads of summer listening to keep you entertained. Our summer series is three episodes, all of which cover a different aspect of governance. One on technical knowledge, one on support in the boardroom, and one on emotional intelligence in the boardroom. In terms of technical knowledge, we'll hear from Bruno O'Brien on one of the big governance issues of our time, ESG, or environmental, social and governance factors in the boardroom. In terms of support in the boardroom or outside the boardroom, we'll hear from Megan May on the importance of mentoring. And finally, in terms of all things emotional intelligence, we'll hear from Cassandra Kelly on hugs in the boardroom. And if you're new to the Take On Board podcast, well, feel free to go right back to the start. I'll link to the first four episodes in the show notes. In episode one, there's Sandra Loder on depth and breadth in the boardroom. In episode two, we feature Rachel Lowry on getting clear on your intentions in joining a board. Episode three is the fabulous Michelle Shepard on how to not let imposter syndrome get in your way to the boardroom. And then episode four, Llewellyn Prane, which was actually the first podcast I recorded on courageous questions in the boardroom. As I say, I don't want you running out of listening options. I also can't miss the opportunity to encourage you to join us in our flagship program, Take On Board Accelerator. If you're in the boardroom and you're looking for a brains trust, cheer squad and governance sounding board, then the Take On Board Accelerator program is for you. You'll join nine other women or non-binary board members in a monthly session to grow your governance wisdom. It's all run via Zoom, so you can join from wherever you are in the world. Early bird prices apply for all of January, although note that some of the groups have already filled 
and others have very limited spaces. So get on it as soon as you can. There's a link in the show notes or get in touch for more information. I'd love to welcome you to the group. Alrighty, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Megan May about her experience as a mentee and her journey as a young female director. First, let me tell you about Megan. Megan is a board member of Ballarat Community Health. She joined the BCH board as a green 27-year-old health professional and small business owner. Six years later, she now chairs the Quality of Care Committee and has just completed the Australian Institute of Company Directors course. During this time, she's listened, challenged ideas, breastfed a baby at board meetings and learned a lot. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Megan. Hi, Helia. Thanks for having me. Such a pleasure to have you here. So, Megan, before we talk about the mentoring program and your experience in the boardroom, I, as always, just want to dig a little bit deeper about you. Can you tell me what was young Megan like and when did you get your first inkling that you might end up in the boardroom? Oh, well, I guess it's not something that had popped into my mind when I was at school or university or anything like that. But um, I've always had a bit of a love of learning and always been very driven and goal-oriented. I did a bit of public speaking at secondary school and then went on to university and had five years there before progressing into private practice. And I guess pretty quickly working as an allied health professional in private practice, I realised that as opposed to working in a hospital, there's not sort of a linear career progression or clear pathway mapped out for you. So I, I realised that I'd probably have to figure this out myself. And that's what encouraged me to seek out different opportunities, look for, I continued sort of studying and doing some different postgrad courses and pretty much said yes to anything that came my way that I thought would help me to grow and learn as an osteopath, but also I was working as a subcontractor then. So you're essentially running your own small business. So I was I was just open-minded to all different kinds of opportunities and in particular living in regional Victoria. So living in Ballarat, I think even more so, anything that came my way that I could fit in, I thought I'd definitely say yes to. Sounds like you're, yeah, you've already got that, you know, as that, what do they talk about? The growth mindset or a learning mindset, learning new things, experiencing new things. Sounds like it's really embedded in your DNA. Yeah. And I guess on reflection, not all of them have been 100% applicable or helpful. So I did get a scholarship to study the, uh, a grad cert in agricultural health and medicine. 
um, which was really interesting, but I probably haven't applied that in a high level to my daily practice, treat a few farmers every now and then, but um, uh, that it, it was still a, a great opportunity and something that I, I didn't want to say no to. So different things have um, taken different amounts of time and been helpful in different ways. Now you're working in your small business, you're on the board of Ballarat Community Health and you're chair of the subcommittee. And as part of that, you did the Victorian Healthcare Association mentoring program as a mentee. So can you just tell us a bit about what that is and how it came about for you to be involved in it? Yeah, definitely. So an email came came through my inbox advertising the mentoring program. And in 2019, I'd, I'd done a different program, the um, Joan Kerner Young and Emerging Women Leaders Program, and had access to some really inspiring women and a mentor through that. And that program had finished. Obviously, we'd had sort of COVID last year. And I just thought the time might be right to take up something like this. I guess I had a few goals that I wanted to achieve in 2021 and a few things that I wanted to explore so I could see that a mentor could be helpful. And my the chair of that community health also kind of forwarded on. And that's often happened, I guess, in my career that different people on the board have sort of swung things my way and said, have you seen this? Have you made sure you've applied? So that probably cemented the idea of applying. And then I was lucky enough to be matched with a, a great mentor. Mm. Okay, so the Victorian Healthcare Association runs this mentoring program. They just kind of put it out to people to nominate themselves, presumably, as either a mentee or a mentor. You were matched up with a mentor, but what were the nuts and bolts of how that happened? Like, how were you introduced to them? When you first met with your mentor, how did you set the kind of rules of engagement for the mentoring relationship? Yeah, so they put together a bit of a format, which I'm, I'm sure they had to adapt because of COVID because they, they mm. were meant to be in-person events. And they had some great sort of forms and quizzes to start with to sort of say what type of mentor you're looking for and, and what kinds of goals do you have. And then once they matched us with someone, we sort of got each other's bios. And they also had some templates to help frame your conversation so that you could put down some really clear goals and figure out what you wanted to get out of the mentoring program because I imagine if you're a mentor, if you're not really sure what your mentee is Mm -hmm. aiming to get out of it, then it's hard for you to figure out how best to help them. So Mm -hmm. they did try and create some structure and some guidelines to give you some resources and then I guess it was up to us to arrange the times that suited and figure out how often we wanted to chat and what our topics of discussion would be. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what were your goals for the program? This year, I was hoping to do the AICD course. I was having to get my board to pay for it also. Knowing that I was approaching my third and final term on Dark Community Health, I just thought it was a good opportunity to start speaking to different people and finding out where are my skills and, and what other interests do I have and what might be future opportunities for me. So what other boards should I have a look at or what should be on my horizon to put myself in a good position for whatever might come my way in another three years? Okay, which I imagine are pretty common goals for anyone on a board in some ways, like particularly coming up to a final term. Yeah, what are the skills? Where should I land next? How should I land next in that role? So working with your – actually, who was your mentor? My mentor was Deb Colville, so she's an ophthalmologist. 
Oh, the wonderful Deb Colville. Shout out to Deb. Deb is amazing. She's been in a couple of my programs. She's fabulous. Ah, I didn't realise that. Great. Anyway, sorry, go on. Lovely person. Also a great sense of humour. Yeah, we had a really great time. Oh, she is such a wise woman. Okay, so tell me, how did you work with Deb on your goals? How did you explore your skills? How did you explore what your interests might be and kind of explore what might be next? How how did that work? I mean, I, I think just fundamentally getting to know someone externally who has no sort of background knowledge of you and having to maybe summarise your experiences or your challenges pose some questions, show some vulnerability, they're always going to have different insights from the people that sit around the board table or from your family and friends. Mm -hmm. So already she was sort of reflecting things back at me and challenging things that I'd said and asking, well, why did you say no to this opportunity? Or, you know, you're telling me you'd like to do this in the future, but when this came your way, you said no to it. Why was that? And it was really interesting because I I guess it just made me reflect on even though I thought I was saying yes to everything, there were still some barriers I was maybe putting in my own way due to a lack of confidence or just the stage I was in my life. You know, there was a a point where our chair came to me and said, would you want to consider putting your name down as deputy chair? And I had maybe a three-week-old newborn and I almost burst into tears and said, no way. (laughs) And it was really interesting because to me that was perfectly logical decision-making. And Deb sort of said to me, all right, so what's actually involved in being the deputy? And when we chatted about it, I've been quite often, there's not too much involved unless the chair's away. And she said, I think you should have just said yes. And then if it was too much, you could have said no at some point along the way. And Mm. I thought, oh, that's interesting, isn't it? That maybe I'd sort of leaned out prematurely in anticipation of the challenges that might come and what I thought that burden might be on my family or how much responsibility or stress it might be. But I'd sort of base that decision making on some assumptions as opposed to any actual evidence. Mm. So even just having a fresh perspective, really challenging and questioning what you were doing compared to what you were saying was really, really helpful. Oh, how fantastic. You know, having having that mirror held up sometimes is um, incredibly helpful and a little bit confronting sometimes. Did you end up being deputy chair or had the ship sailed by the time you had that conversation? Yeah, the ship had sailed, but it, it did probably help. Uh, obviously, those opportunities come around at different times and I've, I've had to confirm whether I want to continue to be the, the chair of the committee that I'm on. And it, it did probably help continuing to say yes to these things and knowing that nothing's locked in stone forever. If you did get to a point where it's not manageable, then you can always step back if you need. But maybe that's a pathway that you can continue on as opposed to putting these roadblocks in in front of yourself in anticipation. And and some of that is probably just lacking confidence and being young and, and kind of that imposter syndrome of thinking, well, surely there'd be someone else better than me. So, yeah, I've had to really reflect on that. Oh, there's so many little alleyways I can go down there. But imposter syndrome, I think, strikes everybody, no matter how old they are, to some extent. I think it, it, it's a little voice in our ear quite often. But it's interesting in there as well, because I think whether it's as deputy chair of the board or whether it's chair of the committee, 
The other thing is that these roles need to morph around women who have got young children or women who are pregnant or women who need to breastfeed in the boardroom. Um, You know, if you'd mentioned breastfeeding in the boardroom 20 years ago, it would probably be an anathema. But now it's thankfully not seen as something too unusual because if you're going to have women involved in governance of organisations, then these are the sorts of things that are going to happen. Yeah, and obviously Zoom has actually made life a little bit easier in that sense of if you are trying to juggle things at home. But, yeah, I, I sort of found, I, I guess, my board were really supportive of anything that I wanted to do. But when you do have a room of people that are a different stage in life to you, they don't necessarily know how to be helpful. And that probably happens for a variety of people in different scenarios. This is just probably one small example. But for example, our chair had decided to take times off the agenda because he felt that sometimes we might have just been popping arbitrary times next to agenda items and it was maybe limiting the quality of discussion and meaning that we might not spend the amount of time on strategic items that we should or too much on smaller items. So wanting things to sort of flow a bit more naturally and for us to all maybe be a bit more disciplined in what we spent time discussing. Mm. I said, that's fine, but I really need to know, does this meeting go for one hour or three hours? Because I might need to know whether I'm bringing a baby or not, if I'm pumping, if I'm zooming in, if I'm coming Mm. in person. And I guess even just that realisation of that there's other things going on in your life when potentially everyone else around the board table might be at a really different stage and it doesn't matter what time of night they get home, you sort of have to raise those things. How did you raise that? Because in one way I can completely understand that the chair wants to have a more organic conversation to see how it goes, yet obviously that has an impact as well. And a key role of a director is speaking up about things, whether it's the time of the board meeting or... I don't know, the strategic direction of the organisation. So in as much detail as you're willing to share, how did you raise that? Yeah, no, he was great. I just had a conversation and I said, Mm. um, I see that we don't have any times on the agenda. It makes life a little bit difficult for me. Do you have any indication of of what you're hoping to achieve in terms of times? And these are the reasons why I need a a bit of a rough guideline. Um, And he said, yeah, good good point. (laughs) Okay, we'll take that on board. (laughs) easy. There you go. If only it were that easy all the time. That is fat. But both in terms of raising the issue and in terms of resolving the issue. Because I guess if you don't raise it, you're probably just going to get a bit resentful. And when you're on a volunteer board, if, mm. if you're resenting the amount of time that you're spending or the way it's impacting on, on your personal or your family life, it's not really a recipe for success, I don't think. So uh, I want to link it back to the mentoring side of things. And You know, the goals that you had there, we talked about some of the um, prodding, I guess, that Deb provided for you in terms of some of those opportunities. You talked about, I think, what are the skills that you can bring to the board and exploring that? What are the interests and then those future opportunities? Around that skills and interests side of things, what were the conversations you had with your mentor there that helped to shine a light on some of the things that might come up for you? Yeah, I guess Deb was trying to get out of me what bits do I find really interesting in the board and and if you've got a bit of passion or special interest then it's always going to make reading those board packs far less cumbersome. And so even in having some of those conversations and realising 
which parts of the board meeting make your eyes light up or, or which topics you're really interested in discussing or, or sharing, having to retell that to someone else externally, even um, that gets you thinking about which bits uh, you really enjoy and, and then you can sort of step back and think about how would you apply that to different boards and, mm. and what skills have you got. And uh, I think also I wasn't sure with different levels of boards, what the time commitment would be, or I guess what the, the skills required would be. So we sort of spoke about uh, different types of boards and just exploring those opportunities and then the practicalities of what you need on your resume and how they get advertised and what to keep your eyes out for and the time frame because some of them, you know, particularly some of those health boards have a really long time frame for applying versus when you, so you might need to be thinking about this quite a while in advance. So just getting a bit of an insight from her and I, I haven't necessarily come to any conclusions, but it's been a good process to just explore those options. Ah, see, I was going to ask, so what is next for you? But maybe it's all still running around. So your your current term on Ballarat Community Health, you're on your third and final term. When does that term finish? So I'm, I'm just approaching that third and final term. So oh, assuming, I, I guess, uh, re-elected in November at our AGM, then I'll have uh, three years left. Right. Okay. So which is a perfect period of time to then be thinking about but it was, it was just a great opportunity, I guess, when you've got someone pretty experienced as yeah. a, a mentor to ask some of those questions and start to think about what op- opportunities mm. might be in the future. And what about the nuts and bolts of your mentoring? You know, how often did you meet? When? Uh, who set the agenda? What were the nuts and bolts? Yeah, so we would aim to Zoom once a month and we would always have a few kind of backups that was something that Deb recommended which I found really helpful of we would plan our meeting date and time and then we would always plan a backup meeting date and time in case anything popped up Mm -hmm. and generally I would sort of set the agenda and say this is what I've got coming up so I'm doing the pre-reading for the AICD course or I'm trying to figure out how to do this with the committee and um and then she was often pretty good at summarising our conversation and sending me an email straight afterwards. So often we would be chatting and she would say, oh, this resource could be helpful or you should listen to this podcast or maybe you should do some networking with these people. And so um, she was often pretty good at wrapping that up. And I think you've got to do that straight away because we're all busy. I mean, I was yeah, running a multidisciplinary allied health clinic and through multiple lockdowns this year. She's a really busy person as well. So it was probably important that we showed that respect to each other and were quite disciplined with our time and respectful of when we arranged those meetings and just making sure that the conversation was productive. I mean, I think as a mentee, you need to come to your mentor with some questions and challenges and something that they can help you with and then show some vulnerability and be open to some ideas and feedback. And and I guess Deb was big on sort of saying, well, I'm not really here to tell you the answers. <laughs> um, I'm here to sort of guide you into some options or ways of thinking or which is funny when it came to AICD time and she said, I do have some practice exams I could send you, <laughs> but I'm not sure that's really my job. <laughs> 
anyway, we had a laugh about that. I got through the course, so that was exciting. <laughs> and actually got through it a lot easier than I expected. So that's that was probably another thing where she was great at sort of saying, look, you've been on a board for almost six years now. I think you'll be surprised. But I must admit, I still went into the course thinking, oh, gosh, I'm sure there'll be people way smarter and more experienced than me. And then got to the five days and realised that actually being on a board for six years does train your brain to think quite strategically. And a lot of it did make sense and just reinforced that luckily I'm on a board that's of quite high quality and has some really good processes. So it was, it was actually really positive and encouraging to go through that process. I think it's interesting. Um, I often get asked the question, when's the right time to do the AICD course? You know, will it help me get on a board? And I always say, look, yes, it probably will help you to get on a board. But in all honesty, I think you will get more out of it once you're on a board so that you have that practical experience. You already had six years on the board. And I think that practical experience in the strategic thinking and governance way of thinking helps enormously to get more out of the program. It's not to say you wouldn't get something out of the program if you did it six years ago. No, I think you're so right. And that's when I did my induction six years ago with the board. Yeah, the the deputy chair at the time sort of said you could do it now, but I exactly what you said. I think you'll get more out of it if you wait a little bit. And then I just sort of had to make the timing right because you can't commit to too many things at once. But, yeah, there were a lot of executives in the room who were doing it, hoping to maybe understand the board a bit better or to further their board opportunities in the future. There were a lot of people that hadn't been on a board and it was interesting to see the way that people's brains thought differently or the, the direction that the conversation went. I'm just swinging back to the mentoring program. As I said earlier, the Victorian Healthcare Association coordinated this program for mentors and mentees, which is incredible. And and for those listening, if you are on a healthcare board, it might be worth contacting the VHA and I'll make sure a link to that is in the show notes. But if you're not on a health board, it might be worth contacting your own industry association if there is such a thing to see if they have a mentoring program or to encourage them to start one if they don't. But for those that may not have access to this sort of program run by someone like the Victorian Healthcare Association, what's your advice to people in finding the right mentor and setting up the right mentoring relationship? What's your advice? It's interesting because each time I've done a few mentoring programs now through sort of Commerce Ballarat and through the Joan Kerner program and then now through VHA. And originally when my first program ended, I remember saying to one of the really wonderful guys on my board, I've just had this great mentoring program that's ended. What do I do now? And I think his advice probably applies similarly to, to someone that hasn't had access to a mentor. He said, well, now you just need to surround yourself with your own board of directors. And we had this great conversation where, you know, I was running a business that was growing and I'd had a a great mentor that had covered a little bit of all aspects of the different challenges that I was facing. But Robert and I sort of spoke about how there's probably someone in your circles who might be a retired accountant who's happy to chat through some of your finance questions. There might be someone who you can connect with remotely or through someone that you know who might be able to help problem solve some other issues that you might have. And I just I think that's a great way of thinking about it because unless you're in a formalised mentoring program, I mean, some people might be really open to just 
taking you on as a mentee, but it's a it's it is a commitment and it's a bit of a big ask of someone. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're saying oh, I think you've got some really interesting experience or skills in this area and this is a challenge that I have with my day job or time as a director or whatever it might be. Can we have a coffee every now and then and chat about how I could do this a little bit better or some challenges that I'm facing here? It's amazing how many people are actually really generous with their time and knowledge, especially some of the directors that I've met that are maybe semi-retired or retired and have so much like wealths of knowledge Mm. that they're really happy to share so I've kind of probably been a bit brazen I guess every now and then in in when I've come across someone who I think whoa you are really inspiring and and a wealth of knowledge just kind of asking could we have a coffee or do you mind if I gave you a call sometime to ask about this particular challenge that I've got not sort of can you solve all my life's problems and people have been really wonderful Oh my God, that is fantastic. I love a brazen ask, partly because I think you're right, often people will say yes. And if they don't want to say yes, people will also say no. So as long as you leave the opportunity for them to say no, I think that's that's fantastic. Good on you. And I love that concept. Yeah, sometimes then it leads to another door because they might say, oh, actually, that's not really my field of finance or, but I know someone else who would be really great for you to chat to. And and then you've kind of met somebody else. You've, I guess, essentially done some networking, but it means you've got your own little sort of board of directors that you can go to for different topics or challenges that might pop up. Absolutely. Oh, great advice in there. Oh, Megan, um, as always, uh, the time has gone super quickly um, and there's some fabulous tips in there. So I'm wondering, what are the main points you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? Look, I think mentoring is a really great opportunity. So if there's something coming into your inbox and you're wondering, should I have a go or not, then I'm taking my own advice and saying there's no harm having you go and putting yourself forward because you never know who you might meet and the opportunities that might come out of it. If you don't have access to a structured mentoring program, then there's probably no reason why you can't essentially create your own or think of where you have some gaps or where you need some extra knowledge. But if you're going to do something like that, you have to have the ability to reflect on maybe your weaknesses or your areas of growth and show a bit of vulnerability Because if you're going to go to someone asking for some advice and help, they need to have a way to help you. You have to give them an in. And I have only been on the mentee side of the fence so far, but in an official capacity. But I imagine it's not very enjoyable if someone's not showing any vulnerability or has no ability to reflect on um, some of the things that they could have done done differently. So, yeah, I think you have to be really open-minded when you go into any of these programs. Absolutely. And I think that's to some extent from both sides. I always like to think of it as almost a mentoring partnership because I think the mentor also learns an enormous amount from from the partnership as well. So can you recommend a resource for the Take On Board community? Well, it's interesting because I was talking to a friend about that decision with the the chairing and we were reflecting on the Sheryl Sandberg book, Lean In, which Mm -hmm. I always thought I did a lot of leaning in until I had a baby (laughs) and maybe um, didn't reflect on how it doesn't just stop there. (laughs) You can keep leaning in beyond that. 
um, mm-hmm. in different ways and, and depending on what else is going on in your life. But that concept of not leaning out prematurely because of your own mental roadblocks or hurdles is probably really good advice. Mm-hmm. And then the other book, I guess, that has helped me along the way of growing a business and having more staff and working as a director is a book called uh, Radical Candor by Kim Scott. I think probably for me that helped summarise. It, it, essentially it's a lot about how to give feedback and and how to be respectful and kind in your feedback and that you're doing a disservice if you don't actually give any honest feedback. And I think often for women that can be an issue when you you send an email that's full of so many, uh, you know, <laughs> qualifiers and pleases and thank yous and exclamation marks that no one actually knows what you're saying and what you want and then you wonder why nothing happened. Mm-hmm. But it also helped to guide me in I think a key to being a good board director is how to ask good questions. Mm-hmm. And probably a few years ago there would have been times where my sort of immaturity and, and lack of experience would lead to my questioning being just not as helpful as it could have been. I think that concept of maybe they talk about caring personally, so you've got to build those relationships first and come from a place of empathy. And I think that sort of leads you to asking more careful and respectful questions rather than maybe sometimes going down a a rabbit hole of a questioning line that might either have you really in the weeds as a board member when you should be staying strategic or prompting defensive answers from executive when that's not necessarily the angle you were trying to get at. So that's a really kind of key skill that I mean I'm always trying to develop, but I I think that that book kind of helped frame that in a way that made sense for my brain. Yeah, likewise. I read it earlier this year, I think, and think it's got some great frameworks in there. it's yeah, it's a fabulous one. Fantastic. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining us here today. And indeed, thank you, because I imagine you've got an enormous amount on. I really appreciate it. And I know that others will get an enormous amount out of our conversation today. So thank you for sharing with the Take On Board community today. No worries. Thanks for having me. Hi there, it's Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.